foundation that God has given us is from his word, and so I'd like you to turn there with me to John chapter 7, the gospel of John chapter 7, and we're going to read just a very short uh, passage here, verses 37 through 39, but I'll invite you to stand as we engage this word together. John chapter 7, verse 37. Hear the word of the Lord. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. May God add his blessing to his word. Please, you can be seated. I want to begin by uh, saying it is good to be back uh, after being off last Sunday. I appreciated uh, Pastor Rich and his message and filling the pulpit last week. I, the honest truth is I knew I would be exhausted from the night before after watching Ohio State uh, play, and uh, I was, I, that was true, so I decided to take some vacation Man, I, I still haven't gotten over that game, to be honest with you, so uh, I'm a little salty this morning, so be careful. Just, just be careful how you treat me, but, uh, but on the positive side, we did have a great time off. Uh, it was good to be with my kids, as I've said, uh, you know, the, Caleb uh, went back to school on Friday, and uh, Joshua and Micah will be headed back to Kentucky later this week. Of course, we celebrated the new year together. We played games, Boulder Dash, Uno, that kind of thing. And I am just always reminded how completely and utterly blessed I am. I think the hardest thing about a new year is learning to, to change the date on checks and various things. You know, uh, I know uh, uh, that's probably the, the thing that I, I just haven't figured out how to take a 19 and, and not scratch it out, but make it into a 20. And of course, sometimes over the course of a new year, we start thinking about, as Jessica mentioned earlier, resolutions. We want to be something else. We want to be better, be improved, be a new person. And I think it's worth remembering that a new date does not mean a new you. The calendar, in fact, holds really no power to change anything. It's Jesus, not January, that brings a new day and makes all the difference. And that's kind of what I want to share with you this morning as we launch out on 2020. I've decided over the next few weeks to talk about spiritual growth. Because I think if we're honest, a lot of us feel stuck. We aren't growing. As a person, I may be a Christian. I may have a relationship with Christ. I may have faith in Christ. But where do I go from here? We have this aching feeling that there really is supposed to be more, and I want you to know that there is. And so I want to begin with you over these next few weeks talking about that, and I think the best place to begin is giving you two foundational spiritual truths. And number one, it's this, you, uh, there is a God. We know that. We know with certainty there is a God. And number two, you are not God. I also know that, that, that there is a God and you are not God. And if we can begin to, to put that together and begin to live that out, it can have dramatic implications. Now, one of the things that that implies is, is this. That means that my life is not my project. 
that your life is not your project. In fact, it means that your life is God's project. The Apostle Paul kind of outlines this incredible truth in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, when he writes, For we are God's handiwork. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works for which God prepared for us in advance to do. In other words, your life is God's idea. You're his project. You are not your own handiwork. Only God knows that, that why you were created and what he intends for you to truly look like. Only God knows what he intends to fully accomplish in your life. And every once in a while... When you do something good, you do a good work, I think you're getting a little glimpse of what it is that God intends you to fully become. Well, you say something that inspires somebody, maybe at a, a work meeting, or maybe you say something positive and encourages and lifts someone up, or you decide to help a, a homeless person that no one else notices. Or maybe you, maybe you uh, are patient with a three-year-old, or you volunteer for an afternoon, or maybe you just have a really good idea and other people catch a vision, or you express genuine concern for someone who's hurting, or you stand up to a bully who no one else is willing to stand up to. You make a sacrificial gift. You fix something, and you feel good about it. You forgive an old hurt. You say something that you normally would never say, but it turns out it was just the right thing to say at just the right time. Or maybe you don't say something, and it was just perfect that you shut up and didn't say anything at all. When that happens, you're getting a little glimpse of what God intends for you to be, what he designed you to become. And what God intends for you to become is the best version of you, the, the 2.0 version, the being born again, a new person, a new creation. Now, Ultimately, we know the goal is this, for you to reflect the image of Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, Paul writes, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. In other words, you are predestined to look like Jesus. But how you get there... Listen, is God's work, not yours. He has many, many tools at his disposal, and he's not in a hurry. He is patient to be sure, but he's not about to give up on you. Jesus made quite a staggering promise and several times about his ability to transform human lives into this new kind of life that he offers in John 7 here, this passage that we've just read, there's a feast going on in Jerusalem. There are three big feasts in Israel every year. One of them was called the Feast of the Tabernacles. Very much like our Thanksgiving, if you will, where they would celebrate God and his goodness and give thanks for his provision. They remember the time that they were in the wilderness. They would even set up the tabernacles as a, uh, uh, they would set up tents to, to kind of uh, play act and, and act out the, the wilderness experience. But at the end of the feast, the priest would go to the pool of Siloam and draw out water with a golden pitcher. The water would, uh, was in Jerusalem came from an aqueduct. In Jerusalem, they didn't have any natural river. And then they would have this big parade, this big procession. And the parade was joyful. 
There was shouting and singing, and the rabbis used to say, the one, who does not, the one who does not know the joy of tabernacles does not know joy. In other words, this was a huge celebration. It was a whole lot of fun. And the priest would go before them and take them to the temple and shout out, with joy you will draw water from the well of salvation. And then the priest would stand before the people and he would just pour out that water onto the dry ground. Now that was a symbol. They were desert people. They didn't waste water. But it was a symbol that they served a God who one day brought water out of a rock for his people. And everybody would cheer, looking with hope that God would always provide for his people, including one day he would give them a Messiah. It is on that day then, maybe even at that moment, when the crowd is gathered celebrating, we are told on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, he wanted to be heard, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Now, to be... To be thirsty doesn't mean that you're some kind of superhero, spiritual giant that has all these pious desires. To be thirsty, listen to me, means to be discontent, to be dissatisfied, to have a longing that's, that's unsatisfied. Jesus is saying, all of you dissatisfied people, all you who are malcontent, all you whiners, do we have any whiners here today? Jesus says, now you come to me. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. But this is what is amazing. If you think about what he says, Jesus goes beyond what we expect him to say. He says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. And then he doesn't say, and you'll have enough to drink. Did you notice that's not what he says? He doesn't just say, then you'll be satisfied. He says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living waters will flow from within them. You come to me, you thirsty people, you people with unsatisfied desires. And you remember the King James Version says, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. So not only will you be satisfied, you will become a source of life to other people. The thirsty one will offer drink to others. Now the belly, well that's interesting. It's an interesting view of what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is talking about is something deep down inside of you. He's talking about your core. You know, this type of year we talk about core because a lot of you are going to be joining gyms and there's going to be a lot of discussion about your core, about your abs. People like to talk about your abs. You know, that's kind of a, kind of a thing in our society. How are your abs? In fact, maybe we should just show off our abs right now. Take, take a moment and compare, you know, because that's what society, we always are talking about, our core and, and our abs. We live in a world that's obsessed. We talk about the core, but that's what Jesus is talking about here. He talks about it in such a way that it is that which is deep down inside of you that feels empty, that feels hollow, 
that place where the butterflies are. He uses the word koilios, which we get our word uh, kaleidos, which I think is interesting. Kaleidos has to do with what something deep down within. It's, it's kind of a troubling issue, a sickness that comes often from stress and problems and tensions that we just kind of hold in. Out of your belly, out of that same place, Jesus says, will flow energy and hope and life and love without you having to manufacture it or fake it or type it up. Jesus says, come to me. Over and over, Jesus describes this kind of life. I'll give you one example. A little later in John chapter 10, he uses a different metaphor perhaps, but it's the same reality. He he talks about his people as his sheep and his desire for them. He says, a thief will come and try to destroy. A thief will come, and this is the way of the world, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that my people might have life. And that's a good word for salvation, life. Our church's mission is, our goal, our mission is to love people to life in Jesus Christ. That's what we're about. That's what we intend to do. And that word then, he goes beyond just life. He says that they might have it abundantly. In other words, that life is not only theirs, it's overflowing into other people's life so that others can experience it too. Now, right there, it seems to me, there, right now in this place, then, as we talk about this, there are two kinds of you. There are two versions of you, if you will. There is this one that, that, that God wants you to be, has made you to be, and of course, then there is that, that person that currently exists. Question, how many of you would say there is a gap between the God or between what God has made you to be, wants you to be, and where you are right now? I'd say pretty much, yeah, I'm there. And the problem is we think we have to close that gap. So many people think that they can close the gap if they just try harder. So many people beat themselves up. Because they think the problem is, I'm not trying hard enough. I need to be more heroic in my effort to close this gap. I I see this all the time. New year, well, I'll read more books. I'll listen to more messages. I'll learn a new discipline. I'll serve more. I'll work harder. I'll try to be nicer to people on the highway. So you hear about someone, you know, who gets up at 4 o'clock in the morning to pray, and you feel guilty. And you think, you know, I don't pray like that. Maybe I should. And so you resolve to do that too, even though you're not a morning person. Even though at 4 o'clock in the morning you are dazed and confused and groggy and grumpy, no one wants to be around you at 4 o'clock in the morning. Jesus doesn't want to be around you at 4 o'clock in the morning. And yet you determine, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try. Someone told me once, I would be a morning person if morning started around noon. And that makes sense. But you think, well, if it's hard and it's miserable and I don't enjoy it, then that must be what God wants me to do. It must be spiritual. It must be good for me. And so you try it. 
new year, new you, new effort, and maybe you try for a few days or a few weeks or even a few months, but not forever. And you eventually stop, and then you feel guilty because you stopped. And of course, when that guilt gets large enough, gets intense enough, you try again. You try something else maybe, but you try. And so you have this cycle. And the secret is you are getting tired. And I'm not just talking about physically tired. I mean, you're tired in your soul. Is anyone tired today? Maybe this is you. I, I, I need to rededicate my life. Or I need to find another church where I will get revved up again. Or I just have to fake it and hope that no one really sees what's going on. Or you just give up altogether and you hope, I just hope. I make it to heaven when I die. Is anyone tired? So here's, here's a question I, I want to tackle over the next several weeks. What if Jesus was right? What if Jesus really meant what he said? And he says, I can give you life. Living waters overflowing. What if he really meant what he said? That there are living water available to you that could just flow out of you supernaturally. What if I could really live above and beyond mere existing and live a life of joy and love and celebration in Jesus Christ? What if it's not about trying harder or trying to rev myself up into more commitment? What if I took God's word as true when Paul said, For I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, a good work in me, is going to be faithful to complete that work. He's going to be faithful. He's going to do it. Now, John tells us where this life comes from. John says, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. The Apostle Paul concurs. He says, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This isn't about working harder. This is about freedom that we have in Christ. And where there is freedom, there is life. Where there is freedom, there is joy. Where there's freedom, there is breath. And so Paul writes, and we with all unveiled faces, that means no more masks, no more hiding from one another, no more acting, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image in other words, we're looking like him from one degree to another. For this comes from, listen, do you see it? For this comes not from me, not from you, but the Lord 
who is the Spirit. And here's what happens for a lot of us. When, when people first come to God, they come to faith and they realize, I got this problem, there is this gap, and it's because of sin. Here is this holy God over here, and there is me, and it's because of sin, and this is currently where I am right now. And it's a gap of sin, we're recognizing that. But the question is, can I bridge that gap through my effort? Oh, that's a real question. Can I bridge that gap? 50-50 chance. Get it right or not. No, you can't. I can't bridge that gap. This is the mystery of the gospel. God chooses to bridge that gap through his son, Jesus Christ. The only way from here to there is God bridging that gap. And he gives us his grace through his son. The only way that that's possible and a lot of us in this room have received that gift. We have been saved. And if you haven't been saved, if you haven't declared your, your faith in Christ and what he has done on the cross, then I hope you will do so. What a better way to start the new year. But there are a lot of us where we have done that, where we have accepted Christ as our Savior. But what happens is this. I become a Christian, but I realize there's still a gap. There's still a gap between what God wants me to be and the kind of person I am right now, the kind of person I, that currently is. There's a gap between the life that God promises and the life I'm living right now. And again, if you get to the heart of it, that gap is sin. But question, can I bridge that gap through human effort? The answer, again, is no. But here's the problem. Many of us think, well, I got saved by grace, but then I guess I have to live by human effort. I guess I have to get from here to there through what I'm doing. But here is the truth. You get saved, yes, by grace. So we are invited also, however, to live by grace, be transformed by grace, become a new person. That only happens through this, because God is gracious. He gives us his spirit, and the spirit moves us by grace. Listen, when I first uh, come to God, I may experience grace primarily as forgiveness. And grace certainly has everything to do with forgiveness. But do you know that grace is more than that? Grace is more than forgiveness. God was a gracious God before anyone ever sinned. And so when God created the earth, that was an act of grace. He created us out of his love. God's plan for you is to live every day by grace, to learn to run on grace, to walk by grace, to wake up to grace, to receive life and power as a gift from him. And sometimes we think that, that people who are sinners need grace, but now that we're saints, we don't. And I'm going to tell you that is wrong. Grace is something that we're intended to live on all the time. Grace is the generosity of God. Grace is what he gives us through the power and person of his Holy Spirit. And that's the picture Jesus uses. He says, you will have rivers of life running through you when you have my spirit and you're listening to him and you're filled up with him and so god gives us his spirit as an act of grace so the bible says we can walk in the spirit that, that we can live by the spirit our life is by the holy spirit 
Paul says, since we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. We live by the Spirit. Well, what does that mean? It means that every moment I can be in tune with God. Every decision, every activity, every thought can be His and in and, and communion with Him. We talked about this on Christmas Eve. God with us. God is there. And the secret to the Christian life is listening to Him. And our job is this simple, to figure out from one moment to the next moment to the next moment, how do I stay in tune with his spirit? How do I not cut off that river of life that he wants to run through me? And so as we kind of begin this series of messages, if there is one verse I want you to think on, reflect on, I want you to hold on to this week, it's this. 1 Thessalonians 5.19. We'll talk more about this, I'm sure, as we go along. But it's 1 Thessalonians 5.19. You can memorize this. You can take this home with you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit in your life. The Spirit is already at work but there are ways that we quench him, we grieve him, we ignore him. What does it mean then to live in the Spirit? What does that look like? Well, let me give you a couple of examples quickly. Sometimes uh, I'll be in a small group or maybe in a discussion with some folks, and my wife Mary is right there with me, and sometimes in the conversation, for instance, I'll, I'll find myself just kind of getting lost in the conversation and I'll be talking and talking and talking and usually it's about myself or, or something uh, just as interesting and, and uh, all of a sudden I'll feel this little touch under the table on my knee. Now Mary is not flirting. She's trying to send me a message. You know that little squeeze? Have you experienced that? It's a message and the message is shut up. Don't keep talking. Let someone else have the, have the room. And, and we've experienced that. I, 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 to be honest with you, I kind of resent that squeeze. I think what I say is interesting. But, but uh, in fact, I thought I'm glad she's down there on Sunday morning rather than up here. I'd probably get that squeeze a lot more. than, than we, And you'd probably be glad if she was up here with me. But that's a picture of the Spirit. Listen, friends, it... If he is with us, there are going to be those moments, aren't there, where he's going to give us a little squeeze and going to say, you know what, we don't do that. Or we need to stop. And friends, if we're unwilling to listen, if we're unwilling to pursue what he's showing us, then he'll stop. But he will tap us. He'll show you what living in the Spirit ultimately means isn't control, my control. It's surrender to him. Mastering yourself is only accomplished by being mastered by God. The other night I was taking Mary out for her birthday. Uh, would you believe that she is 29 again? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we stopped at uh, a Thai restaurant, and then we were going downtown to watch a Christmas carol. We were enjoying our meal there when I look over, and there's an older gentleman sitting all alone. And for some reason, and I don't understand this, but, but I just couldn't unsee him. Mary and I are having dinner. We have a lot of conversation. We have a lot to talk about. But I, I, my eyes just keep glancing over and can't unsee this gentleman. 
And suddenly I feel like the Spirit says to me, you know, this man needs some encouragement by his meal. Now, you don't know what a cheapskate I am. And so I begin to have this little argument inside of me. Lord, uh, you know how much this is costing me tonight, the tickets downtown, we've ordered appetizers. I'm going through the litany of all the things, and the Lord will not relent. Buy this man a meal. I said, well, Lord, you know, he's drinking wine. I've never bought wine in my life. <laughs> Buy him a meal. I'll let it slide this one time. And so as we conclude our meal, I go up to the waitress and I say, I'd like to purchase this man's meal. Now, I want you to know Mary wasn't aware of what I was doing. She, had no, no, uh, uh, she wasn't aware at all. And in fact, uh, we just left the restaurant, and I, I don't know what that did for that man. I really have no idea. Did it encourage him? Did he have a wonderful Christmas? Did he think about the marvelous gift that he had been given? Did he do any of that? I don't know, but I know this. When I walked out of that place, I was alive. I was different. I was glad that I had obeyed the Spirit's prompting. And when we begin to listen to God's Spirit, and when we begin to live in that world where we hear His prompting, and we obey, and we move, and we learn to listen to Him, our lives change. I don't know if He's different at all. I know I'm different because I said yes. And Jesus says, I want to give you life. And Frank said, no one goes poor by giving. Jesus says, I give you life. What are you going to do with it? My friends, as we close this new, uh, new year first Sunday, are any of you thirsty? Are any of you tired? Would you be willing to come to him? Not try harder. Just surrender and say, Lord, I need you. I need your help. I want to hear your voice. I want to know you. I want to live that life that you promised I could have. And so as we close, I'm going to invite you to come to this altar. You say, well, Pastor, I, I haven't been in an altar in years. I said, well, that's fine. But maybe this is your day. Maybe this is your time. Not because you're some spiritual giant, but because you aren't. And you recognize that you need him. And you're thirsty. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to share this important truth that we are your project and that, Lord, our response is simply to come to you. Lord, I suspect I am not alone so easy even in ministry to get stuck. I pray, Lord, to, to get unstuck today and that I would walk in the Spirit, that I would know your joy, that I would know the life that you offer because I'm connected to you. I stand before this congregation admitting that I'm a thirsty one 
and I need you. Maybe there are others. I pray, Lord, that we would have the wisdom this morning to seek you and be filled with that spirit that promises to give us life and is going to continue that good work of making us into the image of Christ. That is our hope and our desire. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and sing again? The altar is open as we worship. Thank you.